there, and welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfon, and I'm joined on this Friday the 13th by my co-host Joseph Cacharo. Cash, what's doing, man? Everything's, uh, I was going to say everything's good. I guess that's weird to say, given that the uh, the numbers for this pandemic are going out of control again. But I was going to say everything's good, because Friday the 13th is good stuff. And uh, 13, uh, I don't know if it's like this for any other cultures too, but 13 is actually good luck for Italians. So when everyone growing up, when everyone else was always like talking, I think it is for Jews also. Actually, there you go. There's another connection for us in addition to Godfather too. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of synergy, uh, (laughs) cultural, (laughs) basketball take wise. Um, But on this Friday the 13th, trade rumor season is upon us, uh, and the transaction moratorium is set to be lifted on Monday, I believe. And the rumor mill is just churning right now. So. It seemed like, you know, in advance of that moratorium getting lifted and the, the possibility of a flurry of activity potentially happening on Monday and throughout next week, I thought it would be good for us to get together and just sort of talk through some of these rumors. And I know we've already talked about the Rockets a whole lot this offseason, but I feel like that has to be the place for us to start. So what, what did you make of this latest report about the apparent dissatisfaction it started out this report i think from tim mcmahon about the dissatisfaction that both james harden and russell westbrook were feeling or or maybe uncertainty is a better word to use about the direction of the franchise in the wake of the departures of daryl morey and mike d'antoni and then pretty quickly on the heels of that came a report from shams charania that westbrook wants out of Houston. And that was accompanied by a piece in The Athletic, which I found pretty head-scratching. And we can get to that in a minute, but I'll just start with kind of what your initial thoughts were when you started to hear this stuff. Not surprised. I've thought for a while that Tillman Fertitta has been slowly uh, turning the Rockets into Knicks West since he took ownership of that team. And I think that what we're seeing now is a culmination of all that stuff. And I think this is only, honestly, only the beginning of some dark times for the Rockets. Like, I, I truly believe that. I mean, look, Russ wanting out, I guess, helps their cause in trying to move off their contract because Russ is a willing partner. But it's still a terrible contract that they're not going to get. From like a, uh, a talent perspective, they're not going to recoup equal value, right? Uh, because the contract is so bad. And then like the worst part of all this is the reports that Harden is now maybe starting to question the direction of the franchise. Again, I don't think that's that surprising when you look at the direction the franchise is heading in. And as I wrote about last week and made a video about last week, like this is a franchise that has backed itself into a corner. And there's really nowhere to go, you know, unless they can pull off a miracle with a Westbrook trade or they fully commit to a rebuild and give up on competing and trade Harden. Like those are their options right now. Hope for a miracle or blow it all up and start from the basement again and stay in the basement a long time because Tillman Fertitta is your owner and he um, doesn't really know what he's doing and he's cheap. But yeah, some of the other stuff, I mean, I don't know, like, some of the stuff in the report you mentioned that was kind of head scratching again, like maybe it's not that surprising. We, we've heard for years that James Harden's probably not the greatest teammate and he wears thin on you very quickly. You know, there's a reason why now you can cast some judgment on some of the guys that he's worn thin on like Dwight Howard didn't have a great reputation as a teammate. Chris Paul for all of his, you know, all of the respect he commands around the league has been known to not be an easy guy to get along with. Even Russ, who's one of Harden's best friends, you know, has had some clashes with teammates in the past. So it's not all on Harden, but at the same time, there's a common denominator here, right, in in these equations. And so I think when you just look at the big picture, uh, an ownership change that resulted in a cheap meddling in over his head owner, a constant reshuffling and rejigging of a roster to properly compliment James Harden, not just on the court, but off because he was unhappy with certain guys and put them in a spot where there's not really any moves left to make. They're topped out as a very good, almost great, not quite contending team. Their stars are unhappy. 
uh, it's it's not even just their stars. Like uh, PJ Tucker's apparently unhappy with his contract, and guys who don't really have um, the right to be complaining about their roles or complaining about their role. It's just it's a mess from top to bottom. And I just think, uh, as I said at the beginning of this rant, I think it is the beginning or maybe the middle of a continued descent into some dark times for the Rockets. Like it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Um, I kind of just want to keep the focus on Russ for a minute. And I do think, you know, Harden in a sense has to wear this because by all accounts, it does seem like he was the biggest driving force behind the Chris Paul trade. And, I don't just, know whether... sorry, just to interrupt though, Harden was, but also Fertitta as well. Don't forget, there was the reports. Fertitta said that he thought that Chris Paul contract was the worst contract he has seen in his life as a businessman. <laughs> and then he went and approved a trade for Russell Westbrook's contract. Like, think about that. I, I just, yeah. I mean, look, and we said when, when Maury walked away that he was getting out at the right time. And... As much as you know, we've we've mentioned the fact that it seems like his hands were tied uh, as far as the the mandate coming from both his star player and his owner to make that deal. <sighs> I just can't believe that he got squeezed that badly by Sam Presti. I still can't believe it. I know I don't need to rehash this now, but but to keep the focus with Westbrook, man. I, look, I, I I don't I don't get heated very often, and I think over the years my Westbrook takes have been pretty nuanced like I've been down on him at times but I think I've also defended him against what I felt like have been some unnecessarily aggressive criticisms and you know look I I have enjoyed watching him over the years I still think that he deserved to win MVP in 2016-17 you know you can quibble about whether there may have been other players who were as deserving or more deserving but I think he deserved it. Uh, I have like respected how hard he plays every night. I still find him, you know, on certain nights to be a really exhilarating player to watch. But man, I I'm really just fed up with honestly just his attitude. And I think you know what we talked about what it would actually take for the partnership between him and Harden to work, and really what it would take for Westbrook's partnership with any other high-end ball handler to work and what is required of him is to learn how to play without the ball in his hands to cut to screen to be active rather than standing you know behind the three-point line with his hands on his knees and he didn't appear willing to do that while playing alongside Harden this year and then what we have in this report which is from Shams and Kelly Iko, is that Westbrook informed teams of team officials that he has been uneasy about the team's accountability and culture and wants to join a team where he can have a role similar to his prior floor general role in Oklahoma City. And it's not like I had any illusions about, you know, Westbrook suddenly turning into the kind of active off-ball player that could make him a more functional co-star in the, you know, second or third act of his career. But to hear that is just really disappointing. And, and I think, you know, he, it's not his fault that they gave up what they gave up to acquire him, right? Like he can't control that. But, you know, they gave up a mother load to get him and then essentially reoriented their team to maximize him. They traded Clint Capella because it, was what was going to be best for Westbrook because Westbrook and Capella together wasn't working. They needed to open up the floor for him, needed to be able to play five out, needed to open up the driving lanes for him. And like they built this whole infrastructure around his needs. And, you know, despite playing alongside Harden, who is one of the most ball dominant players in league history, Westbrook was still fifth in the NBA in usage rate this year. So to hear that he was like dissatisfied with his role and wants to go back to things being how they were in OKC just like really hammers home how completely unwilling he is to adapt in any way whatsoever. And as far as a team catering to a player, like this is as good as it's going to get for him if he wants to be in 
any way competitive. They traded anyone that was taller than five foot eight to make sure that Russell Westbrook could basically rampage his way to the rim freely. Like, you know, let's not pussyfoot around that. They traded Clint Capella and went all in on small ball. Obviously, they believed in small ball already, but they went all in on it because of Russell Westbrook and the fact that that was the only way to fully unlock his effectiveness. Yeah. And, and, and so this is what's really irking me. And honestly, like if, if Westbrook really wants to play out the string in the twilight of his career, piling up like 40 plus percent usage rates on a 37 win Hornets team, then that's his prerogative. But I just find that pretty disappointing. And again, like, I, I don't know that this Rockets team was necessarily going anywhere anyway. And ultimately they were going to have to blow it up. And Westbrook, for what it's worth, like came out and like, I think in speaking to Stephen A. Smith denied that report. So whatever, I don't know. You can believe what you want about whether there's any truth to that. Uh, I think based on Westbrook's history and his play style and how inflexible he's been, I tend to think that there is some truth to that report. And um, I don't know. It's just sad to, to see a player who I have really enjoyed watching over the years you know, potentially steering the final act of his career toward what would be, I think, a really depressing conclusion. Again, I get where you're coming from in terms of like the disappointment and, and some of the sadness there. But, you know, going back to my rant to open this all, like, are you surprised though? I still think it's unsurprising. And you could say it's disappointing, but it's still unsurprising. Like, did you really expect anything else from Russ? Maybe you hoped that he would... Uh, you know, adjust his game or learn to be effective off ball. But did you really expect that? Cause I sure as hell didn't. And when you think about like, honestly, posting 40% usage rates on 37 win teams is actually exactly how I thought the twilight of Russ's career would go. Like seriously, I, I didn't expect anything else. So, and I won't be surprised, just like I won't be surprised when a team that has no path to contention but wants to sell some tickets like whether it is a charlotte or who knows maybe even the knicks who just can't get out of their own way trades for them i also won't be surprised you know so we can talk about disappointment which is valid we can talk about how much it'll suck to watch a player like russ waste the end of his career like that but at the end of the day it won't be surprising like we've kind of known that this is where that's headed the whole time and you know speaking of disappointments but also unsurprising ones again i do think um, before I'm sure we move on to other trade targets we're going to talk about, I do think it's still worth mentioning like the Harden thing too, because Russ, you know, maybe hasn't been held accountable in his own right in terms of his like playing style and his inability to adapt. But I think what that story really drove home, and again, it was nothing new. It's something that's been reported for years was the lack of accountability that the Rockets have for Harden and also that Harden has for himself. Like there was the one anecdote in that story about how, you know, there was one loss in particular where Russ called everybody out on the team, but he started by calling out himself, calling himself out and the things he needed to change. And everyone took the criticism except for Harden, who basically saw it as like, no, no, like, yeah, what you said about all these other guys is true, but not about me. Like, I'm the only one who's like, who should not be criticized here. And we've heard that stuff about Harden for years now. So, yeah, I don't know. It, again, just... It's all disappointing in a way, but it's not all that surprising. And it's not going to be surprising when Russ does end up running a 38-win Hornets team or being the next oversold aging superstar the Knicks give up too much for or Harden ends up wanting out like three months from now. It's all depressingly predictable. Yeah, well, I mean, in that report in The Athletic, it was mentioned that Harden is, quote, locked in on the coming season for whatever that's worth. So I, you know, maybe this is all just noise and maybe the Rockets will start the season with both of those guys on the roster and ready to try and contend again, but it's obviously a mess. And I, I just, you know, a good faith rebuild starts if or when they do decide to trade Harden or if or when Harden demands a trade and I think probably the latter is a thing that would have to happen first I think to initiate that scenario but I, I am curious the kind of direction that a Westbrook trade could conceivably take them like is it going to be something akin to a straight salary dump because today there were, were reports about the Knicks interest in a deal Mark Stein reported that 
And they have the cap space to basically just absorb him. And, uh, you know, the Rockets being as cash-strapped as they are, as tight-fisted as they are, might like the idea of just getting off of that contract and not taking back any salary in return. Whereas, you know, with the the Hornets, who are reportedly interested in Westbrook as well, uh, you know, the framework would have to look something like Nick Batum's contract would have to be in there probably as placeholder. And then Terry Rozier's salary essentially gets you there. Is that enough for the Rockets to get it done? I mean, I think Rozier could actually be a pretty decent fit alongside Harden. He's like a pesky defender. He shot the ball really well last year, over 40% from three on more than seven attempts per game. Can be a secondary ball handler. Um, you know, can run the offense when Harden's not on the floor to a reasonable degree. But is that enough for them to get back? I mean, maybe Miles Bridges also gets thrown into that deal. But like, I know I mentioned, you know, the sort of sunk cost fallacy, like the the picks they gave away, Chris Paul, like that's all out the door. You can't think about that right now. If you have to trade Westbrook, you have to trade him and get the best possible return. But just taking a big picture, look at things and saying, man, like we, we traded Chris Paul two first rounders and two pick swaps. And we ended up with Terry Rozier, Nick Batum's giant expiring contract and, and Miles Bridges. That's, that's pretty sad. The Rockets have one playoff season left in them and then they won't be in the playoffs for a very long time. <laughs> well, so yeah, it's, it's dependent, I guess, to me on, on what they can get for Harden, right? Like, cause, cause as long as Harden's there, I, I think they're going to be a playoff team. Agreed. I think so, they will be so, a playoff team for one more season, and then I don't think they will be a playoff team for a lot longer. If, if they get a giant haul for Harden, they can sort of start to build back up again, but they're already starting at such a disadvantage because of like how many assets have gone out the door, right? So it's it's like going to take a massive haul almost just to get them back to like being sort of like asset neutral, where they have you know all their own picks. And they're kind of starting from scratch with maybe a nice young player to build around. I mean, maybe it's pie in the sky. Maybe it's Ben Simmons, right? They would still have a long, long way to go from there. But that's not the worst starting point either. Like the fact that they still do have this absolute super duper star who is going to have a ton of value on the market still puts them in a better position to rebuild, I think, than a lot of other teams. I don't know. Do you, do you have any Westbrook destinations that are interesting to you? Trade packages that would make sense for both sides? No, because I don't think there's like a, a surefire contender out there that he fits with and makes better because most surefire contenders already have a ball dominant player. And as we've already waxed poetic about, Russell Westbrook is not effective without the ball in his hand. So I don't see a clear cut contender that he makes sense on. And then other than that, it's just kind of what we talked about where it's depressing because you envision him on a team that's really got uh, a ceiling far below championship contention. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think the teams that do make the most sense are those teams that have been mentioned, which are like the lottery teams in the Eastern conference, because they see an opportunity. And, and I know we're, we're going to talk about this on a future episode because we've talked about it a lot off the air and it's a topic we've wanted to hit on for some time, but to me, barring a catastrophic injury, there are seven East playoff spots that are locked in, which is, you know, the the, the top seven from the East last year. And, and the Nets with KD coming back, essentially, are now a playoff lock up there with the Pacers, Raptors, Bucks, Heat, Celtics, Sixers. In that order, right? Pacers at the top? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get to them. Don't yeah. worry. So, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think the teams for whom it makes sense to get a guy like Westbrook are teams that don't have a, another star that's anywhere near being on his level. And I'm having a hard time finding which team in the Western conference that could conceivably be and which team that is in that situation could talk itself into like getting Westbrook and then being a playoff contender in the West. Whereas like, you know, for a team like Charlotte, or Orlando, yeah. or the Knicks, or the Pistons. You know, one of those teams could talk itself into, well, we haven't made the playoffs in a while. We'll get this sort of 
star power on the roster. Just get him in the door. Sell an extra eight sweet tickets and an extra premium uh, bottle of liquor. Yeah, you gotta you gotta sell those sweets, man. Twenty five percent capacity. So I, I think that those are the teams that it makes sense for, and that's why you know Westbrook's seeming unwillingness or inability to adapt to his surroundings in a way that's actually going to promote team success and individual success. Honestly, I think if he was willing to go that way, that that's what's going to lead to him just sort of like trying to carry a team with not a lot of complimentary talent where he can essentially do whatever he wants, but I guess maybe he's just okay with that. Yeah. And some schlub of a media member in that market will end up giving him like an MVP vote and an all defensive team vote when that happens too. <laughs> Certainly if he's in New York, that will happen. Oh, um, it's in New York. He'll get two of those votes. <laughs> uh, all right. Other things that have kind of been floating around in this period before the moratorium gets lifted Some Victor Oladipo news, or I don't know what you want to call it, uh, a report that has since been refuted by Oladipo himself. This is from Jay Michael, who's a Pacers beat writer. He reported that Oladipo last season was essentially going up to players on opposing teams. He specifically mentioned the Raptors, the Heat, and the Knicks, and asking if he could play with them. In front of his teammates. And um, again, Oladipo has come out and refuted this report and said, you know, that he is committed to the Pacers, which runs counter not only to this report, but to, I think, a lot of the reporting that was being done at the tail end of last season when it seemed like there was a lot of friction between him and the franchise, both over his extension negotiations and quite possibly the way that his injury was diagnosed and handled. And so, I don't know. (laughs) Do you think that this, this is something that actually happened? And uh, if so, what do you have to say about it? I think it happened because it's way too specific of a story to have been completely manufactured. And even with like three different occasions against three different teams. So I think it happened. I think, as we've spoken about before, when it comes to like the malcontent of stars, usually where there's smoke, there's fire, especially when that smoke comes from respectable credentialed reporters, as it does in this case. So yeah, I, I believe it. Uh, I don't believe, uh, you know, Oladipo's denials, but what's he saying now? It's just not true. I love my teammates. I cherish the state of Indiana and I'm focused on leading this franchise to a title. Well, that's not true. He, he probably does love the state of Indiana. He probably loves some of his teammates. He's sure as hell not leading that franchise to a title. And I don't believe that uh, the report isn't true. I don't know, man. Look, at some point we need to talk about the fact that Victor Oladipo is a one-hit wonder who seems to think he's uh, headed for the Music Hall of Fame. I'd say a one-and-a-half-hit wonder. He, he was pretty good the first half of 2018-19 uh, before he got hurt. Okay, he he was good. He was really good. He was a shell of his, the the player he was the year before, I'd say. Who which was great. He's had one great season. All NBA caliber season. And other than that, he's never all been NBA Don't have to say caliber. He may he made right. all NBA. Yeah. So, he had one great season. And other than that, he's topped off as a very very good player and not even like he made an All-Star the second season. I don't think he was really he was like a borderline All-Star to me that season. He like I just that I think Victor Oladipo thinks of himself as that player, that All NBA player he was once in his what eight year career now, whatever it is. And I think, look, it happens with a lot of players, and in a, I get that you can't necessarily fault them because these guys have gotten to this point as professional athletes and at you know various stages of the NBA hierarchy by a type of self belief most of us can't understand. I get that, but at the same time. It's like, dude, you're going to come back from injury playing the way you played, negatively impacting your team. And then you're going to ask other teams like the friggin' Knicks, if you can play for them in front of your teammates who, by the way, some of who are better than you, like, I hate to break it to you, Victor Oladipo, uh, in 2020, based on the way you look post-injury, Demontis Sabonis is a better NBA player than you. Honestly, Malcolm Brogdon might be a better NBA player than you. Miles Turner might be a better NBA player than you. So I get that he doesn't believe that, but at some point it's going to have to clue in from because unless he miraculously returns 
to that all NBA player he was again one time in his eight-year career whatever it is he doesn't have like the I don't want to say he doesn't have the right obviously he has the right but he doesn't have like he doesn't have like the goodwill to to do this I just don't know who he thinks he is I think he thinks he is that all NBA guy and I think he thinks the basketball world at large sees him like that well, maybe he just misses being the best player on a team, and that's why he was going up to Knicks players asking if he could play with them because he came back and realized immediately that he was not as good as Malcolm Brogdon, not as good as DeMontis Sabonis, and he, he just needs to get that feeling back of being the man. And if there's one place that he can definitely do that, it's in New York. So that's the one thing that could make it make sense for me that he would actually be saying this to Knicks players. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, we, we've talked about kind of his situation and why we think that he is one of the more interesting players this offseason and just sort of how hard it is to value like what he is and what he's going to be going forward, because there really is just like such a wide range of outcomes, I think. And I, pr- I think it's probably unrealistic at this point to expect him to get back to the level that he was at at his very peak. He only played at that level for eight months. So maybe he and fans, you know, myself included, because I I just thought he was fantastic that season and thought that he was going to continue to be that player well into the future. I'm still holding on to that in, you know, a bit of delusion, but, but but I admitting it's the first step, but but I do think there is some middle ground there where like, he's not the player that he was last season either. And he's still a really effective player secondary creator who can be a super disruptive defender and be devastating in the open floor. You know, if, if the kind of burst, the athleticism comes most of the way back. And, and obviously a lot of that's contingent on his jump shot coming back too, because that's what really opened up his game that season is he just started drilling pull-up jumpers in a way that he'd never really done before. And I think, you know, for, for a two guard, he, Passes the ball quite well. His handle, weirdly, was like super sloppy when he came back, but I don't know that that's reflective of how well he can actually handle the ball. Like, I, I think if he's your secondary playmaker, that, that you could be in a really good spot. And if like a team, if a team like Dallas, for instance, wanted to take a shot, that could wind up being a great situation for both team and player. And, and I think what makes it really interesting, a team that acquires him might want to look to extend him to get some sort of certainty if they're giving up something of value. But for a team like Dallas, for instance, or maybe if it was Miami, if it was Toronto, like I'm just throwing teams out there that I, that I know are hoping to preserve cap space for 2021. You can get him for a season and see how it goes before deciding if you want to commit to him long-term. And if you don't, then that money comes off your books and the cap space is still going to be there for you. So I do think, you know, he's still a pretty interesting trade candidate. And regardless of what he says about being committed to the Pacers for the coming season, uh, it seems pretty clear right now that a breakup is inevitable. Yeah. Also, did you see the stuff with Miles Turner and Oladipo's sister? No. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, another reason why a breakup is surely inevitable. So uh, Oladipo's sister on Thursday night, I believe, tweeted about, like, was tweeting with emojis and stuff, like, essentially trying to insinuate that it was a ridiculous report and not to believe everything you see on the internet, whatever. Anyway, someone, I don't know if it was another family member or friend or just a random Twitter follower, but someone replied to Oladipo's sister with a joke about how it was, like, probably Miles Turner or, like, oh, Miles Turner again or something like that. And then Oladipo's sister replied to that with, like, a like zipped mouth emoji, quiet emoji, basically saying like, you know, she's not going to tell, but essentially saying like, yeah, it probably was Miles Turner. And then Miles Turner replied to Oladipo's sister. Damn. It's like that question mark with the little, like not detective emoji, but you know, like the, the guy with the monocle kind of looking emoji. So yeah. Well, <laughs> but Hey, but Hey, Victor Oladipo loves his teammates, the state of Indiana and remains committed to delivering a title to the Pacers. What about them as a Westbrook destination? <laughs> Honestly? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think so. If you start with Oladipo's salary, that's not enough to get you there. You need another like pretty sizable one. Uh, Oladipo plus Jeremy Lamb for Westbrook works. What do you think of that? <laughs> that's interesting. And uh, I mean, that'll give Russ. I mean, we were joking about how we'd have to run like 37 win teams. Um, I, I mean, no, it's interesting. I mean, at, at least this way you could run like a 43, 44 win team. Okay, come on. <laughs> Listen, listen. This this team was on pace for 50 wins last season uh, as a shortened season, but like essentially like their record prorates to a 50 win team. And that's with Oladipo hardly playing and then contributing, you know, arguably negative value when he did come back and play. I mean, Westbrook, Brogdon, Warren, Sabonis, Turner is actually pretty solid. Um, Yeah, I think you get it. I don't know. I don't like the shot distribution. (laughs) No, I, I know. And you get into some problems with him and Sabonis, I think. I, I don't actually know what you would do with Sabonis because like, he is so used to being a, a fulcrum of their offense and being a guy they play through, whether in the pick and roll or from the elbow. And I don't know how that works with Westbrook. He has never played off of a playmaking big like that before. He has been effective in the pick and roll before. But, you know, given that both of those guys are non-shooters and we saw sort of how that played out in Houston and it led to Clint Capella getting traded. Uh, now, you know, Sabonis is, a again, a really nifty passer and a solid post player, which maybe makes that easier, but um, but that could be tough. But I actually really like the backcourt fit of Westbrook and Brogdon. So do I. I like that a lot, actually. Brogdon's a, like a really good off-ball guard. And we saw last year that he has some on the ball chops too, but like his efficiency cratered last year uh, when the, the Pacers essentially had to put the ball in his hands and, and turn him into uh, more of a lead playmaker. So shifting him back into an off ball role where he put up a 50, 40, 90 season a couple of years ago, playing off of Giannis playing off of Westbrook is not the same thing, but like, I think actually that could be a pretty solid fit and Brogdon defensively can cover for some of Westbrook's weaknesses. That gives them the kind of scoring punch that I feel like they've lacked they, they'd probably lead the work. league in points in the paint with, with Westbrook, Brogdon, Sabonis, uh, I mean, even Warner. Warner. Yeah, Sabonis, Warner, Turner. They, they would almost surely lead the league in points in the paint and their spacing would be terrible. Um, yeah. Well, you know, if, you know what? If they, if they were willing to kind of shift Sabonis back to a six-man role where he was a five coming off of the bench, Turner is exactly the kind of big that Westbrook needs to play with. So... I don't know, man. Could work. Talking yourself into it. You're talking I, yourself I'm, into I'm it. I'm kind of talking honestly, myself into this. I will say this. Given, given the Is that option of a return for Houston? Probably not, but maybe it should be. But I will say that given the other options in the East for him, and as we discussed how depressing they are, like Indiana might be, it's crazy to say this, Indiana might be the best case scenario for Westbrook if he goes East. You know what I'm interested in? And I think we both know the answer to this, but like, when Russell Westbrook requests a trade, do you think he's sitting there thinking like, wow, like every team is lining up to take me because I'm Russell Westbrook. Like given how he views himself and we know how he views himself just by watching him play and his inability to adapt. When he makes that trade request, like I wonder is his agent, is anyone around him telling like explaining to him the way his value has cratered over the last couple of years and like, you know, how tough the contract he's on makes his move. Like, I, I, like, do you think he knows that? Or do you think when he's putting that request, like, he just assumes right now everyone's lining up for a service? Like, every contender, every pretend, like, just everyone wants a piece of Russ. Or do you think he knows? Because I would imagine if he wasn't aware, it might come as quite a shock to him. And perhaps the reason he's now backing off from these reported trade demands when maybe he sees, like, oh, my options are the Hornets and the Knicks. Yeah, I think it's it's entirely realistic to think that that's how he feels about his own trade value. And honestly, given what he fetched in a trade last summer, I can't really hold it against him if he feels that way. Based on what he was traded for last time, his value is sky high. And um, man, that, play, that playoff run was rough. But I, I do think the, the qualifiers, you know, shouldn't be forgotten. And the fact that he was coming off of a quad injury and COVID may have had something to do with that. And um, 
I think that as much as I feel like he's not as effective as he used to be, his jump shot, his free throw shooting, a lot of stuff is trending in the wrong direction. His body of work last season on the whole was still quite good. I, I don't think that he deserved to be an all nba but he was an all-NBA third-teamer last year. And I, I'm sure there are at least a handful of teams out there who look at that and see an opportunity to maybe pounce on a guy that they can get for relatively cheap. Not cheap, you know, financially, but in terms of what they have to give up in assets in order to get him. Yeah, and I made the joke about how, you know, I've long thought Tillman Fertitta might turn the Rockets into Knicks East. Well, you know. Tillman Fertitta? Yeah, Tillman Fertitta, as Kendrick Perkins calls him. Well, you know, the original Tillman Fertitta, James Dolan, is still sitting there running the Knicks. So who knows? I mean, we we joke about the underwhelming asset haul Houston's going to get for Russ, but I guess never doubt James Dolan and the Knicks. You never know. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download The Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. Before we end the pod today, uh, there were a bunch of other rumors circulating around, and I think you always sort of have to be aware or at least question like where those rumors are coming from and who might be leaking this stuff and who benefits from it. But I'll, I'll just throw them all out there and you can decide which of them you find most interesting and want to talk about. So I think the most prominent one and the one that seems to have the most validity to it is uh, the Chris Paul and Phoenix stuff. Um, Windhorst and Bontemps reported that there was sort of mutual interest there and that the Thunder had actually given Chris Paul permission to talk to the Suns, uh, even though he's not a free agent or anything. Uh, those two sides have just been given license to communicate and I guess figure out what they want from each other. And Chris Paul and Monty Williams have history. Uh, Monty Williams coached him with the Hornets a few years back. And uh, it seems, I mean, to me, it looks like a pretty damn good fit, honestly. And I, I, I've, I'm on record as saying, like, I don't think that the Thunder should be looking to trade Chris Paul just for the sake of trading him. And uh, it sounds like, you know, the salaries that would come back to make it work, it sounds like it sounds like they don't have any interest in holding on to them. So this seems like the kind of thing where a third team would have to get involved and the Thunder would be looking to reroute, you know, whether it's like Ricky Rubio plus Kelly Oubre plus maybe a draft pick. They hold on to the draft pick and see if they can flip Oubre and Rubio for like more draft capital even though they already have more draft capital and they know what to do with. So I don't know entirely how I feel about it from OKC's side, but from Phoenix's side, I think if there's a, a framework that doesn't involve them trading, I, ideally they'd want to hold on to like Mikhail Bridges. Obviously Booker and Aiden are untouchables there, but like if there's a framework that uh, involves keeping all three of those guys and they can get Chris Paul in the door, I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, and then I think that's a no-brainer playoff team, even in the West. Agreed. Because, I, I mean, that's that's a better supporting cast than he had with OKC last year, right? Yeah, and I think, look, I mean, you know the last couple of years I've been um, a fan of Devin Booker. Even two seasons ago when I really thought we started to see some like good progress from him in terms of his maturity and his efficiency and his shot selection. And I think that continued this past season. And I think it would do wonders for him to have, even if it's a year, but with Chris Paul, you know, um, I think that can only help him. And so I think both short-term and long-term, even if it's only for a year partnership, I think Booker and the Suns uh, would benefit from having Chris Paul around. And yeah, in the short-term, I think that's a playoff team. And I know like some other people have thrown out the idea of, of like, is there a way the Suns can also uh, navigate their way to get like Gallo? 
as part of like a signing trade. And like then we're really talking, man. Like if you can find a way to get CP3 and Gallo with Booker and Aiton and keep Bridges, that is immediately, like immediately an absolutely elite offensive team. There are some defensive question marks, no doubt. But again, I, like I, I wouldn't be talking about them as like a true contender anyway. So it's not like I'd be like, well, they can't win a title. Like I already know that they're not going to, I don't think be a title contender, but they would be so good offensively and good enough overall that I would consider that a playoff shoe in, even in the West with the ability to make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah. So I think basically if they decide they're ready to move on from Baines and Sarich, they can open up something like $18 million in cap space. And they could use that 18 million in space to sign a free agent. The order of operations is important here because it's not like if they're matching salary with the Thunder, you know, for the Chris Paul deal, like they only have to send out 80% of Chris Paul's salary. So if they do that, then Chris Paul's going to eat into that 18 million in space by about seven or $8 million. So if the order of operations is such that they use the cap space first to sign somebody like a Gallinari and maybe, you know, another player too, I don't know if Gallo takes up all 18 million, then they make the Chris Paul trade after that. And then they, you know, essentially they've used the cap space and they've gotten Chris Paul. And then that's how they can kind of construct that, that dream roster that you mentioned where you have Paul, where you have Booker, Bridges, Ayton, and power forward X. It could be Gallo if they want to go all in on offense. Maybe they could target somebody like a Paul Millsap if they want to focus more on the defensive side of the ball. Although, you know, Millsap obviously looked a wee bit washed in the bubble. Favors, Favors, I mean, the thing with Favors is like, he's just a backup five at this point, I think. Or or he could be a starting five, but like he's not gonna be a starting five on the Suns, right? Like him and and Aiden aren't going to play together. So... I don't think Favors is the guy that I would go after, but just like lots of potential avenues for them to just become not just a playoff team, but a team that's actually challenging to like maybe even be in the top four or five in the West. Yeah. And beat the Clippers. <laughs> Look, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's not that far fetched. I, I think my feeling about the Suns has been, I, I definitely thought even before the bubble, like that they had made huge strides last season and become like an actual team and a team that, certainly was capable of like nabbing a low playoff seat. At least I, I think that eight, no bubble run oversold things just because of the number of teams they played that were resting guys. Uh, they won on a couple buzzer beaters. I want to say at least one. Yeah. The, the game against Dallas where I think Dallas missed a couple buzzer beaters and then Booker obviously hit the buzzer beater to beat the Clippers. Uh, and then there were at least two or three games where like the teams they were playing were either resting stars for the entire game or for like the second halves of those yeah, games. They're not going 72 and 0 is what we're saying. But they have a lot of maneuverability and Booker's a star. Like he, to me, last season was one of the 20 best players in the league. And he just keeps getting better and better. Like I, I don't see any reason why he can't be one of the top 15 players in the league next year. And you pair him with another top 15 guy in Chris Paul. And that's easily one of the best backcourts in the game, maybe even the best. And uh, you're kind of off to the races from there, honestly, like especially given the strides that Aiden showed. I also think the Suns are in that kind of perfect middle ground where they're not one of the teams that hasn't played in nine months, but they're also not one of the teams that, only stopped playing like six weeks ago Mm -hmm. where they went to the bubble they have a a little bit of game action in the recent like in recent memory in the not too distant rear view but they're also not anywhere near gas like I, i feel like those teams that maybe went to the bubble got their eight games and maybe even played in one round might be in the perfect middle ground in terms of the rest versus rust thing that we've talked about over the last couple episodes and if that's true and then you add a guy like cp i mean yeah like they really would be off to the races and it'd be it'd be nice to see after a long time of that franchise wandering the desert pardon the pun um okay let's do one last one last rumor before we sign off here there were two sort of reports that kevin o'connor dropped 
into his latest mock draft at the ringer. One was reportedly the Lakers being interested in DeMar DeRozan in a trade package that would center around Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. And the other was some Boston Celtics Drew Holiday noise in which the Celtics would apparently try and package their three first rounders, 14, 26, and 30 in the coming draft uh, for a better pick that might sweeten an offer and get them Drew Holiday. Uh, Which one of those is more interesting to you? Uh, I'll take DeRozan. Okay. I think that, one, I think it would be funny if Danny Green gets traded for DeMar DeRozan again. (laughs) More interesting, I think... Look, for all of DeRozan's flaws, and there are, you know, they've been discussed ad nauseum over the years. He really has improved as a playmaker and as a pick and roll player. And look, I don't know if he if if he helps the Lakers when LeBron James is on the bench, if he is their kind of secondary playmaker, if you want to call him, if he gives them some more pick and roll punch, I can see the value there of just you know, being an extra ball handler, an extra scorer, whatever. If he's their number three guy that you, you know, you're you're obviously set offensively. I just, I don't think he does enough that necessarily adds to anything they don't already have. You know, like, I don't know if you want to trade for DeMar DeRozan just to be a secondary ball handler is what I'm saying. And so the things that he does well, I don't think the Lakers necessarily need them enough to make up for the things he doesn't do well right? He's still not a great shooter. Um, he's still an absolute sieve defensively. Like he's bad defensively, man. And all the metrics and the eyeball tests prove it. And so that would be my only, like, I think it would be great for DeMar, who's a great guy who we, you know, know from covering in Toronto is a good guy. And I think it'd be great to see him get a chance to compete for a title with LeBron, who was his boogeyman for so long in the East in his hometown. Great story. And I hope, I almost hope it happens and I hope it works out for DeMar. But I think if we look at this logically and you really start to break it down, like I said, I just the things he does well, I don't think the Lakers need it bad enough uh, to make up for the things he doesn't do well, which would detract from their team. Yeah, I mean, the, the issues with DeRozan are sort of similar to the issues with Westbrook in that they don't make for good complementary players, but they're not good enough as primary players to carry a team to anything more than like middling success. And that's the issue I think the Lakers would run into. I mean, one one issue, I'll, you know, sort of off the bat is if DeRozan's opting into the final, final year of his deal at like $27 million, then Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma isn't getting it done. Like the Lakers have to throw something else into that deal to make it work. I think something like, you know, five or six million in additional salary. And, and like you said, if DeRozan's willing to just be their sixth man and kind of captain the offense when LeBron isn't on the floor, then I think that's great. You know, one of the few weaknesses on the Lakers last year was that they didn't have a ton of supplemental ball handling and playmaking. And DeRozan could definitely give them that. Like for all his flaws, he has become a really, really good playmaker. And I think for him to be effective, he needs to have the ball in his hands. So I would, you know, if the Lakers did try to trade for him, I would, try to separate him and LeBron as often as possible because like if I'm the Lakers, DeRozan is a better player than Contavious Caldwell Pope, but KCP is a better player for the Lakers purposes than DeRozan would be Um, given how superior he is as a spot up shooter the additional spacing that he provides and how much better he is defensively. Like that's what they need from their role players. Uh, They don't necessarily need what DeRozan brings them, but at the same time, it would be nice if LeBron didn't have to carry such a heavy playmaking burden, considering that he's going to be going into his age 36 season. So there's definitely ways that they could make use of DeMar, but I I don't know if they can work out a a trade that allows them to do so without giving back. I mean, like even Danny Green, man, obviously his season finished in pretty dispiriting fashion for the second year in a row. But again, even when he's not shooting the ball well, he is providing spacing for them. Like having him spot up in the corner is a whole lot more valuable than having DeRozan spot up in the corner. And if DeRozan's not spotting up in the corner, well, then he's taking the ball out of LeBron's hands. And do you really want that? 
And then at the other end of the floor, like Danny Green is a way better defender than DeMar is. So I'm not entirely sure that even swapping Danny Green straight up for DeMar, if the money even worked there, would necessarily make the Lakers a better team. Yeah, no, you're preaching to the choir, man. That's kind of exactly what I was saying too. So uh, again, it'd be a great story. And I I almost hope against hope that it you know it happens and would work out for DeMar, but I'm just not so sure. Yeah, it would be great for DeMar, undoubtedly, because regardless of all the stuff we just talked about, about fit there, like the Lakers would still be an outstanding team, I think. And LeBron kind of has a way of just making shit work. So I'm sure that that would find a way to work as well. But we're going to find a way to get out of here at long last. I'm assuming that by early next week, we, we may be, you know, talking about some of these rumors turning into reality because, like I said, that moratorium is going to get lifted. Next week's going to be absolutely insane uh, because trades presumably are going to start happening or at least will be eligible to start happening uh, on Monday. And then we're going to have the draft on Wednesday and free agency is going to start at 6 p.m. on Friday. So uh, I'm strapping in for what should be a pretty crazy week. Yeah, so, and I, th- I think we'll have two episodes next week. Yeah, I think that... Given given all that seems likely to happen, that seems correct. Two episodes means two fan shoutouts next week. And speaking of which, uh, we do have a shout-out on the pod this week. Nimrit, who goes by your boy Nimrit on Twitter. He hails from Edmonton, I believe. He didn't respond to my DM, so I can't confirm right now. But I believe he lives in Edmonton, uh, which is a place that's actually near and dear to my heart. I spent three years actually living there when I was really young. And uh, Nimrit is not only has said some really nice things about the pod, but is one of the better NBA follows out there. He's a huge Nuggets fan. So go and give him a follow. And I hope that I am a pronouncing your name properly, Nimrit, and that I am correct in believing that you live in Edmonton. Um, But if not, feel free to hit me back and uh, we'll sort that out next week. Nimri, don't leave Joe on red, man. Come on. <laughs> so with that, for Joseph Cacharo, I'm Joe Wolfon, Pound the Rock. <laughs> <laughs>